Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new and unique and meaningful. And I hope that you will find this, uh, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to be connecting you to people and stories in and related to Israel and give you a window to look through about aspects of life here in Israel that you might not otherwise hear about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com, inspirationfromzion at gmail.com, or visit the Genesis 123 Foundation website at genesis123.co. Also, please definitely feel free to share this program with other people who you know will find it of interest. I am here with a really special guest today and a good friend, uh, Harold Berman. This was one of the best, this, I hope this will be one of the best episodes that we do because it was entirely unplanned. Uh, this past week, Harold and I went for what I uh, refer to in, a, in something that I've written that maybe you'll see uh, called a mystery ride. Um, Harold is the Orthodox Jewish and Israeli half of a really popular weekly radio show and podcast called The Teacher and the Preacher. His co-host is Pastor Dave McGarra in Idaho, and together they reach over 100,000 listeners on radio stations across the U.S. and podcasts worldwide. They are amazing because, and I'm privileged to be the guest on their program, because they also bridge the divide of 2,000 years of misunderstanding between Christians and Jews, also with lots of connections to, uh, to biblical Israel, as well as modern Israel. Harold lives with his family in the biblical heartland of Israel, also here in the Judean mountains in a town called Ephrat, which is where I live. He's next to the fields where Ruth toiled and was engaged to Boaz, and just a few miles from the uh, from Jerusalem and a few miles further to the south, Hebron, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Before coming to Israel over 12 years ago, Harold was the executive director of the Jewish Federation of Western Massachusetts. He, along with his wife, Gail, are co-authors of the Amazon bestseller, Double Life, One Family, Two Faiths, and a Journey of Hope, and the author of the Jewish Adoption, Unique Issues, Practical Solutions from Jewish Lights Publishing. His articles have appeared in leading publications in print and online. And when Harold isn't broadcasting the teacher and the preacher or, or spending time with his family, he works at peak performance as a mental focus coach, assisting clients from throughout the US to Asia. He is also a nine-time marathoner and a member of the advisory board of the Genesis 123 Foundation. And it's because of our friendship and because of what Harold does for a living and his passion for running that it was intuitive to invite him to be on the board of the Genesis 123 Foundation. Harold, it's wonderful to uh, have you join us here in the Inspiration from, from Zion podcast. And uh, thanks for making time today. It's great to be with you, Jonathan. And, you know, at the beginning, you said you hope this is one of the best shows that you ever do. So you're really setting the bar high. I hope I can live up to it. 
I'm setting the bar high, but I have no, I have no uh, worries because I know that from the other, first of all, I know you personally and how engaging and intelligent you are. And also I love the fact that until uh, two days ago, this wasn't even a consideration. So we, we just kind of came up with the idea of doing this podcast. And I really do believe because what we experienced together last week was so special. Um, I want to set that up if I can, before having you give, uh, give some meaningful input. Um, so as a project of the Genesis one, two, three foundation last week, I was dry. I drove my, my oldest son back to his base, to his army base, uh, on Sunday, he's a paratrooper. And so we had about an hour and a half in the car together and I knew the kind of week he was in in four and i also knew that we were entering a pretty significant heat wave with temperatures starting in the mid 30s which is in the mid 90s fahrenheit and going up to over 40 degrees which is 105 maybe even 110 degrees fahrenheit and as i was driving back it was noontime it was already hot i just got out of the car to help him get his things out of the car I gave him a hug saw a, bu- a lot of other soldiers returning to base after their weekend uh, weekend at home. And I realized, you know, it's, it's hot. And, and whether they're physically training like my son is, uh, except uh, actually this week, um, he'll be uh, become the commander for a new group of recruits as paratroopers, uh, or whether they're guarding uh, spots on the Israeli borders um, with some of our neighbors who are not so friendly or in other locations, or even like his girlfriend, who are just... Um, uh, working in uh, in, in de- not desk jobs but intelligence and other and other things that are mostly indoors it's hot and we have a special relationship here in Israel with our soldiers so on the hour and a half drive back as it got hotter and hotter I'm watching the thermostat in my car and I realized you know we have an opportunity to do something good especially this week when the soldiers are hot to show our to show our our, our love and support and we're going to get into that in a moment but then um we launched a special campaign, Bless a Soldier, which is something that we had already uh, uh, had for a while ago because we want to be able to give people around the world an opportunity to connect with soldiers and send special greetings and warm blessings. And warm is not uh, a pun in this case. We, we, we actually have been receiving some tremendous, tremendous words of encouragement and support and blessings from all over the world. And for donations as little as $3, allow people also to contribute to providing cool refreshments. So in the first couple of days of this campaign, we started getting what wonderful, wonderful support. And that support came from Christians all around the world and what wonderfully from Israelis. And Israelis were not only stepping up to donate, but also making special requests saying, well, would you send something down to my grandson who's stationed in the Negev desert near a lot, which is our Red Sea city and port? Or would you go up to the Lebanese border, which is really hot, um, unfortunately, both in terms of temperature and in terms of um, some action that we'll talk about that's been going on there this week. And what I realized through all of this is it's what an incredible way to connect Jews and Christians, to do something for which we both have the desire to really support and, um, and, 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 and provide a modest amount of appreciation for the soldiers who are, who are spending time out in the heat doing whatever they're doing. And as this began to unfold, 
I sent a message to Harold. I sent a message to several other people who are donors and who are advisory board members here in Israel. I said, why don't you come with me? Let's do this together. Uh, we're going we're gonna to buy drinks and we're going to buy watermelon and we're going to refrigerate them. And let's go down and let's go drive around on Friday morning and start to disperse this. I fit just about as much as possible into the trunk of my car with 62 kilos of watermelon, which neighbors refrigerated overnight. And then we reloaded back into the car and 120 liters of soft drinks. And I, and Harold, because we're neighbors and friends, and I always knew we would have a good time together, was exciting, excited to come along. And we, we set out around noontime, which it was, was pretty hot and started driving around. Harold, I, I want to talk more. I'm, I'm, I don't want this to be a monologue. I want to talk more about you and your background, but maybe step in here and just narrate what, you know, how that started for you, what your thoughts were as we set out on Friday with the trunk full of, of cold uh, refreshments for the soldiers. You know, I, I'm thinking as your listeners may be listening to this and they're thinking, okay, so, you know, some water, some soda, watermelon, you know, very nice, but you know, like, what's the big deal? Like it's, it's you know, better than not doing it, but what's the big deal? And truthfully, even though I live here and even though I, I see you know, the army in action, and I see these young people and their dedication every day, you know, and so it's a visceral thing for me. Uh, you know, I have to admit, even starting out, I was like, okay, this is a nice thing to do. So we're, you know, we're going to go give them some soft drinks, we're going to give them some watermelon, very nice. Uh, but then when you get into it, you realize that it, it's not really about the watermelon, the soft drinks, there's something much bigger here. So first of all, you know, Jonathan, you, you said it's hot. And I think, you know, people who know Israel, it's in the Middle East, you know, it's not Saudi Arabia hot, but it's, it's hot. And this time of year, uh, you're going around uh, and, you know, we're in this nice air conditioned car and then you, you, you stop off somewhere at a guard post or wherever. And we're just out there for a few minutes and you, you feel parched and you feel the heat. And, you know, then you think about, okay, these soldiers, they're out there for hours. They're not out there for three minutes uh, like, like we are. They're out there for hours. So, it, you know, it's not just a soft drink of watermelon just in the physical sense. But the other piece is the emotional sense that these soldiers are out there, again, at a guard post there. But everywhere we went, pretty much, you have a few soldiers alone. And they're they're alone. They're, they're there. And they're alone, obviously, physically. But and have to deal with whatever threats come along but it's more than that they're they're just like out there by themselves and here comes this car <laughs> and <laughs> just pulls up and, and you could tell they're suspicious because and they they need to be because like you know unfortunately in our neck of the woods you know that a car pulling up to them could mean a lot of things but uh you know here comes this this guy named jonathan and says hey would you like some watermelon and at first they're like huh and, but yeah, Jonathan, could, Jonathan, who just escaped from a lunatic asylum, they're thinking, <laughs> right? But you, but then you know, then when you open up the trunk and they see, oh, it's for real. There really is watermelon, and yeah, they were appreciative in the physical sense that they've been out there and they're parched. But you could tell for so many of them, um, it, it was it was actually emotional for them that wow, these, these people took time out of their day just just to bring us soft drinks, just to make sure you know in this hot weather that we're okay. And and that's the piece. And I think for anyone who's donated to this they're part of it that that's the piece uh and, and i think look I, I don't want it to be a monologue for my side either so i'll, I'll, I'll stop but uh <laughs> but i i think it's it's also in the larger sense uh it's symbolic in a way 
that in this country, the military is very much part of society and not in a bad way like the former Soviet Union or China, where it's a militaristic society, not at all. But it's the sense that we're all in this together. And these soldiers, you know, they go home at night and they go, you know, back to their parents uh, on the weekend, you know, if, if they're able to do that, depending on what they do. And we're all we're all in this together. And, and I think, you know, when, when you show up and say, hey, you, you know, you, you want a cold drink? You want some watermelon? We're, we're here for you. It just reinforces that idea. So I want to share actually a, 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 the, the story that I thought of after we came home from our excursion. Uh, we're, we're now actually this week also in the 15th anniversary of the end of what was then uh, called and still is called, I suppose, the Second Lebanon War. Uh, there was a ceasefire 15 years ago this week, and it was an intense war. 34 days, uh, almost 200 Israelis were killed, thousands of people injured, uh, lots and lots of damage because it was before we had the Iron Dome. And already, I think if I remember the number correctly, over 4,000 rockets fired in that period from Lebanon. Um, what We were lucky that time, I was 15 years ago, my kids who were now range from uh, 16 to 28 uh, were in a very different stage of life. And, and if you remember that year, the, basically the northern third of Israel was a war zone. The rest of Israel didn't feel it, but there were people living under the threat of rockets, and that's uh, probably right. two, three million people. Um, I went up to the north a couple of times during the war to give supplies out, um, mostly to civilians, but all of vacations, the Galilee, and for people who haven't been to Israel or, or don't know the topography, we're talking about the Galilee, right? Luscious, plush, green mountains, beautiful um, hikes and streams and rivers, and of course, the Sea of Galilee. And it's a great, great, other than the biblical significance, it's a great vacation destination. But vacations were being canceled left and right because the army didn't want more civilians up in the north. And because many of the hotels were used, being used as respites for when the soldiers would come out of Lebanon to give them a day or two just to, to uh, re refresh up. And we were lucky as a family that our vacation was planned for the week after the war. And so our vacation wasn't canceled, but by the time we got up to the north, it was still, it clearly looked like there was a war zone, a lot of military equipment, a uh, lot, uh, lot of burnt fields, uh, which, which we'll talk about in, in a minute because it's happening again uh, now on a small scale, hopefully it'll stay on a small scale. And, and one of the things that I remember so vividly is street signs were scarred with, uh, with, with holes and, and, and big dents from bolts and ball bearings that were packed into these rockets in order to inflict the most damage. So you could see all along, all along northern Israel how the damage had been inflicted. And Jonathan and his six kids and wife packed into, how on earth did we have room in the minivan? I don't even remember how we had so much room in the minivan. Um, but we were all in the van together. And one morning I set out early and I went to a little market. Uh, we were staying in a, a, a hotel right on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And I loaded up the back of the van with as much drinks as I could put in. And then I went back to the hotel, picked up my family, and we started driving north. And my father, I mentioned a mystery ride before. My father used to do this thing when we were little kids. He would put us in the car and just drive somewhere. And he wouldn't tell us where. And there was always something fun at the end. Now, my mystery ride wasn't, initially wasn't as fun as we were driving north. My kids were still little. 
they realized we were going north and we were moving. They, they saw the military vehicles and they started to get a little uneasy. They started vocalizing their uneasiness. And eventually I drove off to the left to heading to the northwest. And I ended up on a dirt road just using my intuition. I don't think they, we had ways back then to, to put in Lebanese border and, and, <laughs> and find, uh, find a destination. And I drove off onto a dirt road and out of the blue, two soldiers came out of uh, what would appear to be a bush. Maybe they were taking cover also, because Harold, as you mentioned, it was uh, pretty hot. And it's a hot, August is a hot month. And they said, sorry, you can't go any further. I, they also didn't know what I was doing there, but less suspicious, I think, than you and I driving around um, because I had a car, it was a minivan and I had a car full of kids. And I said, okay, no problem. I opened the back of the van and I, show, I said, we just brought you these drinks. And they wouldn't let me bring them any further. I kind of felt bad dumping all the drinks on them. Just these two guys standing there guarding this road. And they were so overwhelmed. Now, my kids had been freaking out up until that point. And the, kid, the, the soldiers were overwhelmed. They took all the drinks. They divided them up among whomever. They wanted to give my kids a souvenir. So they were picking up spent um, uh, bullet casings that were there on the road, which underscored to me at the time how close we were to the action. This was not just a place but we were really there in a place that was uh hot in in all senses and we drove off and I used that as an opportunity to teach my kids my oldest son who's the paratrooper who I just dropped off at his base last week teach my kids that when they're older their brothers are going to be in combat units and their brother and we're going to go and we're going to bring things and this is what we do as Israelis so I remember this when, when we came home that day it was hot and and just to underscore, Harold, I think I mean, it's a long underscoring of what you said is that we have this special relationship. There are sons and daughters. And you have personal experience because you served in the Air Force in the U.S. for four years before coming to Israel. What can you describe? You were you were in Texas. You're originally from the Northeast. What was that like? I mean, how how were you how do you feel now then as a as serving in the Air Force for four years? And and now as a parent of a of a soldier and an Israeli citizen and, and what did this experience and, and just sort of your overall being here um, just juxtapose? So I you know I, I, my serving in the U.S. military is something I've, I've always been proud of, uh, and I think it also helps me relate to the army here more. I think there are a lot of uh, American you know what we call Olim immigrants uh, who come and. It, it probably hits them when their kids are, are in, in the army. Uh, but before yeah. that, I think sometimes not so much just because in America, and I, I'm not saying this in any kind of pejorative way, it's just different in America uh, because not everybody serves, you know, ha- that hasn't been the case since Vietnam. And it's therefore, I mean, the military obviously is very important and America has the greatest military in the world, but it's not that part of society. Now I, I was stationed in San Antonio, Texas, where at the time, I think it's less now, but at the time there were, I believe, five Air Force bases and an Army base. And I always used to say that the military was to San Antonio what higher education was to Boston, uh, because there was this sense, there was this sense uh, just because, you know, like every fourth person was a soldier or or they worked at uh, an Air Force base. And so there was this sense of, uh, the military kind of being a part of society. And, and I think, but, but that's not true in most of America. Correct. Most of America, it's like, yeah, yeah, there, there's the military. Of course, we have, they might know somebody, they might not somebody know somebody 
whose kids served, uh, you know, here that's not the case. And it's probably a little bit more like what I experienced in San Antonio. Of It's just everybody serves. Uh, I'll say one more thing. Um, and again, this is just, you know, because you're, you're asking for a comparison. So it's not meant to be like one's better, one's worse. It's just a different, uh, a different mindset. I think, you know, in America, you graduate high school and uh, if you're in the 99.9% of the population, you're going to college. That's just the way it is. Uh, and everybody goes to college. That's just, that's the rite of passage. And, and there's a lot of good that comes out of that, obviously. Here, uh, people do go to college. Uh, they go to college if, if they decide to go to college after the military. The rite of passage is the military. And for some people, shoot with me, what's called national service. But in either case, uh, there's a neighbor of mine who, who said this once, you know, like in America, in Europe, uh, somebody who's 18 is thinking, okay, where do I want to go? What do I want to major in? You know, those are, those are all good questions, of course. But here, what the average 17, 18-year-old is asking is, how do I want to serve? You know, what do I want to do in the army? How do I want to serve my country? Uh, and, and that's a very different mindset and I think creates uh, a real, uh, I guess, communal ethos that uh, is very positive, despite the very negative reasons why we have to have mandatory military service. 100%. And, and by the way, and also everyone's within a four, maybe five hour drive, more or less, uh, depending on where you're coming from in Israel. Correct. So technically you can pop in and visit your, your, your kids. But when you were in San Antonio, uh, you're, you were a three hour flight from, from your parents. And it wasn't right. like, and, and you didn't get, get home um, every weekend or, or, um, and even if you had a desk job, you had a desk job somewhere far away, potentially from, from your family, much less if you were deployed outside of the country. And I think that we have this great appreciation here, this great relationship because because almost everyone serves, uh, there are exceptions. And, um, and, and so there's a sense that, you know, the, the, the young men and women that we went to visit and gave them the, the cold refreshments, on Friday, um, weren't our kids, but they could have been our kids. And you know, people are taking care. And, and I, and by the way, actually, let's jump in. It was so interesting because we spent most of the time driving around our neighborhood, um, which is in, which is called the Gush Etzion region. It's just south of Jerusalem. In fact, from, I mean, my house is a top of an apartment building, so you can see Jerusalem from, uh, from, from my building. And you can even see the Temple Mount. It's that close and and we were driving around this area that's what i refer to as the original bible belt right we, we, there were there were lots right. of historic <laughs> biblical sites and then we still had too much stuff so i looked at you as we we're driving and i said how about we go to hebron uh, which is only another 20 minutes south of where we were and that's where it got even more special for me um now hebron is a mostly Arab, mostly Palestinian Arab city that's divided right now. And the Israeli army controls a large portion of the city where the Jewish community lives and where the cave of the patriarchs and matriarchs is. And we, and we just kind of drove in and um, I, I don't know what, it, it was all very impulsive, wasn't it? But what, what did you think as we were driving into Hebron? Well, first of all, I think in this sector of the woods, you'd say it's very Israeli rather than very impulsive. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Israelis tend to do things on the spur of the moment and, you know, just go for it. And I think that's what we did. 
you know, Hebron, uh, for, uh, for your listeners who haven't been, and if you, if you come to Israel, it's, it's a place I highly recommend going. But as you said, Jonathan, it, it's a, it's a, it's a predominantly Arab city, but it is a city that is incredibly important in the Bible, uh, incredibly important, uh, certainly in, in, you know, in the Jewish religion. And, here you are, but but it's it's unfortunately a very divided city right now uh, for you know, various political reasons. And uh, so you have these soldiers. There's a small Jewish community there, uh, and you have these soldiers that are really there to to guard it and to kind of keep order. And and again, th- these guys are just, you know, I, I was a couple of things that that struck me. The first was one of the places we stopped. It was a guard post. And literally, you know, you talk about things being close and biblical sites being close, literally a few hundred yards in the distance, you just looked up and there was uh, what's in Hebrew, Marat Machpelah, the cave of the patriarchs. This is where the right. Bible says Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca and Leah are buried. Uh, it is actually, you know, if you if you ask a typical person, what's the most important site in Judaism, uh, if they're not so knowledgeable, they might say, oh, the Western Wall, but the Western Wall is just a retaining wall for the temple. So it's the Temple Mount is the first uh, right. most important. But the Cave of the Patriarchs is actually the second most important site in all of Judaism. And as I said, it, it has this big place in the Bible. So here we are, you know, really the juxtaposition of ancient, biblical, and modern Israel right in that moment of, okay, there are these soldiers guarding this place and where, you know, giving them refreshments, whatever. And you look up and there's, you know, this is as ancient as it gets. This is where Abraham's buried, you know, right there. Uh, so that, that was one thing that struck me. And another thing that struck me again, how, uh, you know, these are 18 year old kids, 19 year old kids. These could be, uh, you know, <laughs> these could be our kids. And they're, you know, the, you think about soldiers and the, these are, they're kids and they have this heavy, heavy responsibility on their shoulder. And there were a few places we stopped where it was like a checkpoint because Palestinians come through and the idea is to make sure, you know, unfortunately, most of them are very well intentioned, uh, but some carry weapons. So it's to make sure that, you know, that doesn't happen uh, and people don't get killed. It's, it's an unfortunate situation, but it is what it is. And here we are, and we're giving drinks to these soldiers, and, and you know, some of them, they're letting the Palestinians through, and they're checking them, and I'm thinking, you know, this, this is exactly the situation you read about, where, you know, a Palestinian comes through, and he's got a bomb, he's got a knife, he's got a whatever, and, and unfortunately, that happens all the time, and they're, these kids, really kids in soldiers' uniforms, are there to protect us, and they're to stop that from happening, um, and, and that's when it starts and it's to get very- real. It's very real. And, and I think I mentioned to you as we were driving there, that one particular checkpoint that you're speaking of, my, I went and visited my son who was um, on duty in Hebron for four months. And I visited him last spring and he was there and it was very tense. Now, also just by, it was also, I didn't even think about it until right now. Um, th- those two young men at that guard post were among, I mean, I think everyone was humble and they were so appreciative. The smiles, the smiles were as warm as the heat, as the temperature was hot and they, I mean, everybody appreciated it. But if you remember, there were, there were adults coming through the checkpoint where, where, where there's, you know, body scanning, making sure that, that they don't have weapons, but the kids, remember there was a group of what, like five, six kids that just passed in front of us right. and, the oh, Arab kids, yeah. and they said something to us. And I said back to them in Hebrew, you know, you're welcome. I thought that would be a nice thing. Let's even give these Palestinian Arab kids 
some uh, some cold watermelon. Now, I don't know if they didn't hear me or, 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 or didn't speak Hebrew. I don't know. But I remember visiting my son exactly at that spot. I happened to show him the pictures and he knew exactly where I was. And that's a tense, it's a very tense spot. And, and it was so nice to give them not just the cold refreshments, but a respite of maybe a minute and a half or two minutes where right. someone was distracting them from the intensity and which maybe not what maybe not have been so smart from our perspective because they needed to be all into to protecting uh doing their job but i love that and and i want to just then as long as i'm mentioning it to me one of the be- when we were finishing up and leaving hebron went to the gas station because it needed to fill up the car and of course there were soldiers there this is a this is a normal thing and i and there was one guy i don't remember his name but got a great picture of him and he was so happy to receive the watermelon i don't remember how many bottles of drinks he took and at the end he gave me a hug but do you do you remember that funny thing that happened as we were standing out there pumping gas i do it was a classic israeli thing this is one of these things you can't imagine in america i said that to you at the time in fact Right. Uh, so yeah, you, you're you're there, and then you hear over the loudspeaker, uh, the woman inside the cashier, because she sees all this, and she's like, "Hey, I want some watermelon." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was that what you were referring and we did, to? Or? Right. Yeah, yeah, and, that yeah, was it. Did. I mean, that was so classic. That was but, so. But it's classic. all this and communal it, idea of like, "Hey, we're all in this together," right? Correct. And and then and I don't know if she expected it. But when I walked back into the into the gas station where she was standing behind her, her the register, um, she was just so happy. And she said, I had two handfuls, I don't know, three slices in each hand. And and she said to her friend, look, he brought for you, too. And it was just it was a, one of these charming moments. But that soldier, I mean, he he was emotional to the extent that he gave me a hug. And it wasn't just a pat on the back. He was embracing me. And And, and I share this not because you and I did something that was so special. It was a privilege, but we did it on behalf of all of the people who had donated money up until that time. And, and when I realized I came home and I was processing all of this, I said, wait, we have to tell the story. Of course we have to tell the story for the people who donated. And by the way, the, the, the link is still available at the Genesis one, two, three co. And since Friday, um, donations came in I, more or less doubling what we had initially raised. So we're either going to have Great. to go go out and do this again, or what I'm hoping to do is get an ice cream truck and go to a large base somewhere and just start either handing out ice pops or scooping uh, scooping ice cream um, if enough money comes in. So we're going to wait for a little bit. It's still going to be hot, but I was so excited and it's a privilege and and for me, when I'm doing this as the president of the Genesis 123 Foundation, and, and I hope for you as a board member, it's not about us. It's a, we, we, we're, we're able to be the vehicle to make something like this happen, but then Very to much. be able to share it with people who donated $5, $10, a couple of people donated $25, $50, and $100, and, and, but we're, we're asking for donations as little as $3, which, I mean, really anyone can do. Um, and, and just last thing I wanted, I want to mention about it is not only when people donate, can they make this possible, but we set up on the website that they can also send their own words of encouragement and blessings to the soldiers. So now we have a lot more. Next time we go out, we'll be printing these and giving them out and I'll copy and paste into a document and, 
and 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 print them in Hebrew, so that so the soldiers know that not only that this is coming from people overseas, but from Christians who love Israel. Um, anything you wanted to add about that? Yeah, actually, when you, that was another thing that was driven home to me. Uh, when you think about uh, you know, relatively modest donations, or just the idea of okay, a drink, a slice of watermelon that. We tend, when I say we, any of us, tend to think, oh, if I want to change the world, if I want to have an impact, let's not say change the world, but if I want to have an impact, you know, I've got to do something big, something grandiose, I've got to have a lot of money, I've got to have a lot of whatever. And sometimes that's the case, but the fact is, you know, a a cold drink, slice of watermelon, and you make somebody's day. Like, there's a lesson in there, I think, for all of us that, you know, small gestures, small amounts of money, even it doesn't mean not to do big things, but even small things done right can make a huge difference. 100%. And, and it goes to you'll, you'll remember it. And many of the American listeners will remember the TV commercial, uh, you know, $10 for two slices of pizza and, and drinks and, and uh, $50 for ball t- tickets for the ball game and so and so for this. But then, but then the experience being priceless, and that's what it was to to, to me, and that's what I felt so good about and wanting to convey. Um, and I and I and I know we talked about it in the car, but I'm glad for your echoing it um, here. Now, before we wrap up, Harold, it is a significant week. Um, it's a significant week because um, because it's the anniversary of the end of that war or that battle. We're still in the midst. I always think of this as being still the War of Independence that we haven't fully won yet and and each of these are battles and that was that was traumatizing in 2006 uh but but now in current events we're seeing rockets this last week i think friday saturday i don't remember even the which days but hezbollah even took credit for firing rockets some of which landed in open areas in israel and burnt things some of which were intercepted by the iron dome some of which didn't make it across the border um we're you know you never know on a day-to-day basis and with the iranian the new iranian president who they who who they refer to as the butcher uh and we know that hezbollah is their proxy um it kind of highlights what we saw in hebron and what we know the soldiers are doing just guarding near our house that, that things could heat up pun intended at any moment and uh, we hope that they won't but I, th- I think all the more reason that when things might be tense, that we go out and, and show that support. Absolutely. I, you know, Israel, and, and I've been here, as, as you said at the beginning, it's over 12 years now. And I still find this so striking among many things about Israel. One of the things that I find so striking is, you know, when you're here, you go about your day and it's normal. You could be in New York or Florida or California or wherever you know, you, you have a job to go to, there's traffic on the highway, it's all, you go into the store, and there might be a few more soldiers around, but it's, it's just normal, and, and, and it's not only normal, it's, it's, it's beautiful here. But there's this surrealness to it that as this total normalcy, and it really is normalcy, is going on, uh, you know, 150 miles to the north, uh, there are people who want to kill us. Uh, we have Palestinians among us, unfortunately, I want to kill us. You have Iran, who is uh, uh, sworn to, you know, end our existence on the planet. Uh, it, we know it's not going to happen because uh, there is a God. Uh, but 
it's this juxtaposition of you're you're going to a movie and you're going to a mall and you're doing all the normal things you do in America and it feels normal but yet there's this overlay of yeah but there are people who want to destroy us right that's a, and it's a hard you know it and i know it because we live here and based on how people perceive israel even those who have been here uh and and understand it's hard to really grasp in fact how normal it is and how wonderful a place it's what a paradox people think that we're uh, uh, we are at risk but that we're under attack on on a daily basis and that it's a fearful dangerous place to live whereas honestly my kids have never been more free um in in the in their growing up here than anywhere we lived in America or frankly mm-hmm. anywhere I lived as a child growing up in America. And that's an amazing paradox because the quality of life is so good. And the, and the blessings, despite the threats, the, the blessings that we have, you and I as parents and raising our children here um, and, and the collective society are really quite astounding. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the one thing that I, I, I just want to offer any other comments that you have, but the one thing that I certainly hope and, and invite people that at the right time, whenever, whenever we can open up the borders and, and begin to allow tourism here to, to come back to normal, how it was before the pandemic. Uh, th- this is something when we run our programs, run for Zion, walk for Zion, other programs that we're going to be able to bring people to come and visit. These are the kinds of hands-on experiences that we, that we offer and will continue to offer. You and I got to experience this um, one-on-one, but we, we did that a year and a half ago, uh, no, two and a half years ago with our first run for Zion group. And in fact, you joined us for a day of that when we went and had a briefing with soldiers in one of the locations that we visited. And, I remember that. Uh, we went and prepared food in a, in a soup kitchen and served the food to people who didn't have enough money. Hands-on, real interaction with Israelis, not viewing Israel from the windows of a tour bus. And so I encourage people when the opportunity is available again um, to come back. Harold, before I wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to add about the overall experience? Uh, no, I mean, I think we covered the bases, uh, but it, it's, it's a, it, you know, just to reiterate, it's, it's amazing to see this, you know, this communal ethos uh, throughout Israel that, that we have. And, and I think that was exemplified in you know, in, in this experience. Um, John, if it's okay with you, I just want to, I'll just mention, um, I, I think, I think for listeners, if you want to keep in touch with Israel, I think there's two podcasts to listen to. It's Jonathan's and mine. I think if you listen to those two <laughs> podcasts, you're set. So I'll, I'll just say, um, if it's okay, I'll, um, you know, if you, if you go to www.theteacherandthepreacher.com, um, you can listen to our podcast as well. And if you want to contact me, if you have any comments and you want to contact me, um, you can do that. And of course, then you can contact Jonathan yep. uh, about this show directly. Uh, all for shameless plugs, especially <laughs> when we're doing God's work. Um, Harold, I'm so grateful um, for you taking time for taking time together. And really, I knew it would be enjoyable. And I that knew in, intellectually it would be meaningful. But I was privileged when I came home and, and kind of, uh, um, debriefed myself how amazing it was so thanks for joining me and 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 to everybody who donated or will continue to donate to this um as long as it's hot we'll 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 uh 
go out there and provide cold refreshments. And I also, just on an individual basis in the wintertime, I'm the soup maker in my family. And we've uh-huh. gone out, literally, we've gone out around our neighborhood with pot, pot of hot soup and start ladling it out to soldiers. Now, that's not something I look for sponsorship for, but who knows? We'll get a, we'll get a soup truck the same way we get our ice cream truck. So, so stay in touch with us. Um, I do want to acknowledge and recognize um, that this podcast, Inspiration from Zion, is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. I always say this if you're in the area and uh, need trees or plants or anything that greenhouses have, go in and get it from them. And if you don't need anything, go in and give them a hug and tell them you mm-hmm. heard about it, uh, heard about them and thank them for uh, for their sponsorship of Run for Zion and also sponsored by our good friends, the Coin family. Uh, as a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, uh, we ev- everything we do is made possible by donations, whether it's delivering watermelon and cold drinks to this webinar, uh, webinar series, podcast series, et cetera. So, so please consider joining us to help continue building bridges and maintaining this dialogue. And if you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or for some special occasion, uh, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. And mostly, really, sincerely, want this to be a dialogue. It's hard for a podcast to be a dialogue, but we want it to be that way. We want to know your feedback, your comments, your questions, and especially questions you have about Judaism for uh, that we will answer during our Ask the Rabbi segments that come up. And finally, just to please share this with others who will find it of interest. Uh, we, we, every week is a different topic, and we try to make it interesting and engaging and meaningful And to give you, as I said at the outset, uh, a a glance into the window of something here in Israel that you probably won't hear anywhere else. So I'm grateful for that. Until next time, uh, this is Jonathan Feldstein sending you blessings from the Judean mountains. And wherever you are, pray that you stay safe and healthy and may God continue to bless you. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 